Why struggle through a post-merger integration when you can glide through it? Why deal with the PMI integration challenges when you can overcome them even before they occur? Why move slow when you can move at pace? What are the world's leading PMI experts doing right now to achieve profit accelerating integrations? This podcast will give you all the answers to these questions and many more. My name is Dudley Peacock and welcome to the 100 Days and Beyond podcast. Morning, Rajiv. Can you hear me well? Everything good yeah. on the sound check in that? Yeah, Dudley, all well here. Thank you and good morning to you in London too. I am dialing in from Brussels. So thank you for <clears throat> providing me this opportunity to connect with you and your audience. So I appreciate the time of you and the audience who have joined in this 100 Days and Beyond conversation relating to carve out and the experience of going through a carve out for private equity funds and their portfolio companies. Yeah, thank you, Rajiv. Yes, and uh, it's going to be a magnificent uh, show. And I'd like to introduce you quickly to the audience. Um, 100 Days and Beyond is the podcast that we focus on the M&A professionals, the M&A practitioners, especially on the integration side of things. The I would say the unsung heroes of the of the guys that do the hard graft, the hard work behind the scenes to make things happen. And, uh, and, and Rajib, I'm going to quickly go through some of the points on your uh, LinkedIn profile because I think the audience need to know who you are. And I, th I think it's very, very impressive. And especially when we talk about the, some of the, 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 the things around your profile, Speaking about the carve-outs, I think is, a, is, a, is critical. And, and, and for me, carve-outs are one of those, it's almost like the ninja side of things. I mean, it's, the, it's that special group of people that understand that additional level of integration and, and the, the, the special skills around carve-outs. But you're going to tell us more about that. I'm not going to tell the audience about that. Let me quickly go through. Rajiv Arjun. So, Partner and Chief Operating Officer of uh, at uh, LTS Strategic Consulting. Rajib uh, is an accomplished operation and technology executive with more than 20 years of success stories. In now I'm going to go through the list because it's uh, it's quite a broad range. Rajib, you've got uh, technology, telecoms, communications, private equity, and even manufacturing. And one of the key manufacturing entities, a lot of people actually know one of the big, the big names, leveraging extensive experience in enabling growth and executing EBITDA value capture. And that's one of the, the, the main things that we drive as integration practitioners and as integration um, specialists. And that's often the purpose of, of, of the entire M&A process is the value creation adding to the top line, but also adding to the bottom line, but also expanding the business across territories, across products, uh, uh, bringing new talent, etc. Um, you are a valuable asset for private equities. Now, this is where it starts getting really interesting. Startups aspiring to reposition business platforms, acquire or integrate an entity, or spin off into a new company. <coughs> Sorry, his broad areas of expertise include mergers and acquisitions, complex carve-outs, which is something we really need to, to, to speak about today, cost optimization, business growth, transformation, technology-enabled business processes and, uh, and emerging markets. So it's, you haven't just worked in, in sort of first world countries. We're looking at emerging market countries too, and, and they have a different dynamic. I mean, you have a different levels of complexity and, and, and so on, and I'd, I'd love to hear you touch on a few of those. Just to go into some of the companies and some of your accomplishments, throughout your career, uh, you've held leadership positions at various private equity funds uh, and their portfolios, um, in, and their portfolios, including companies like PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, Coopers and, and for me, the Tata Group, uh, is, is actually a very interesting um, addition to, to your TV. He has seen a tremendous amount of success over the course of his career and has served as a key contributor to the achievements of organizations he's worked for. Now, this is where this is what's very interesting for me. He was responsible for 60% growth of Tata over the course of three years, resulting in a $150 million portfolio of business. I mean, that's significant. That is huge. 
And then additionally, he has introduced new products to market for both Tata and for PwC, all of which have been valued at more than a billion dollars. That's significant growth. Rajib continues to create working relationships with C-suite executives and successfully led complex multi-year client engagements in private equity, VC, high-tech, telecoms, manufacture, retail, healthcare, and international trade. That is a brilliant CV. Rajib, just tell us a little bit about your journey and, 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 and you know, you, one doesn't just start, get up one morning and do do things like this. You, there's obviously a starting point somewhere. Tell us how you got into this and, and, and you know, where did it all begin? Yeah, so thank you. Thanks, Darlie. I think, um, you know, what uh, LinkedIn um, uh, resume you are reading is a cumulative experience of being able to bring the right folks to the table, um, always, right? And again, today, I think I have one of my valued colleagues Harrison Tal also joining me. So it's been able to bring the right set of people like Harrison's of the world who worked with me through the course of my career and being able to create that value proposition for our clients and be laser focused in the objectives or the end goals that our clients have been being able to deliver them on a timely and in a manner that may makes it impactful for them to achieve their objectives. Uh, whether it's a merger or acquisition, it's a cost optimization, it's a, a zero-based redesign, or whatever may be the objective. It is to bring the right set of people, get the right team, challenge each other, and be able to deliver the value that our clients are seeking from a tra transaction or from an effort or from an, you know, from, from an initiative that may lead them to the next level of growth. Um, our uh, profitability. So that's in essence uh, what we try to bring to the table. And uh, in the past three years, um, having, after you know um, big four experience, having moved and started uh, Altia Strategic Consulting, we have um, we've been fortunate to have worked with six private equity funds and several portfolio companies. And the cumulative experience of about twenty-five plus engagements all in the MA and ops space is what we now are codifying into what we call the ACE methodology or the LTS carve-out experience methodology and bringing that to the fore based on the cumulative experience at LTS and the prior lives, which is a combination of a couple of things, right? I would say operations, technology, ability to understand the complexity of the MA mergers and acquisition space, zero-based uh, thinking and design, and more importantly, being able to deliver that at a velocity which is meaningful and tangible to the EBITDA impact of our uh, of the transaction that our clients are seeking to achieve. Yes, and uh, yeah, thank you for that. And um, and I think uh, part of the part of your profile also speaks about that EBITDA value capture. Um, but when I look at your 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 website, one of the the word that keeps coming up is velocity, velocity, velocity. So it's all about speed. It's all about, I'm sure, accuracy, um, and then putting being able to put through the deliverables, especially on the carve out. I'm I'm I, I just I really like that that. Um, uh, I would say niching yourself down and, and focusing, although you've got such a broad experience, but but being able to focus on a particular part or let's call it a skill set and build a team around you. I think you're absolutely right. It's often about teams. It's not you don't do this alone. It, these are big projects, and um, and you're absolutely right. But let's just go back. What what was Rajib like as a as a as a, as a young boy? Um, at school, uh, thinking, what are you going to do one day? And, and how did you end up in, in this space? Uh, let's go back a few more steps in, in, into your journey and, and from studying through to, to how did you get your first, first sort of job or gig, as people call it. Let's, let's just touch on that, and then we can go into some more of the other, other elements. Sure. I think that, that's an interesting 
Oh, looks like we've uh, we've lost Rajib just briefly. Um, I'm sure he'll be back shortly. Just uh, please hold hold the line. I just um, while while uh, Rajib is sort of d uh, dialing in or logging back in. Ah, oh, there we go. I just for me one of the key things uh, for someone like Rajib. Rajib, I'm just quickly sharing something. Um, is is the balance that that you have, and and um, I mean I, I didn't know how long you're going to take before you come back online, but. I mean, you you got cricket, you got YMCA on your CV. You've got such a broad uh, spectrum of things. Um, uh, Rotary districts president on a list of honorees. I mean, for me, it's 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 such a great um, sort of balanced portfolio as opposed to just the work side. That's what I'm really keen to say. Okay, let's just go back if it's okay with you. Just tell us, just you know, I don't have to go into too much detail, but just tell us a bit about the journey, for especially for the youngsters out there. I mean, people out there saying, what career do I do? If I look at some of my, my, my children, they're in their early 20s, and they're saying, okay, what do I do? What's the what's a career that's interesting enough for me to be challenged, enough for me to be able to go? And what's got runway? Because these days when they select careers, Often careers don't uh, jobs that that are that exist today didn't exist 10, 15, 20 years ago, and and I'm sure it's going to be the same in 20 years time. And and there seems to be something very special about the integration space, but also about people like yourself that have built a career out of something that is very movable and flexible. Anyway, over to you, Rajiv. Tell us a bit about uh, your your background. So I think uh, let me try to answer your question regarding future proofing um, careers, right? I, I think irrespective of the any field that you choose or and you likely have multiple fields that you choose over your 30, 40 years career span, right? Well, first thing you need to bring is the love and passion to be involved in something that you really care for and really want to. The second aspect, I think, from a technical perspective, the new world is going to be driven by STEM, and of which uh, I think the software element, knowing computers, playing with computers, dealing with software, and how software is going to transform is going to become a fundamental rudimentary skill that everybody needs to have, irrespective of whether you're a musician, you're an artist, or you're an engineer, or you're a rocket scientist, right? That software element is going to be key. The third dimension of this, in my view, is, an, um, is to have sports in your life, right? The sports teaches you not just individual contribution, team contribution, to give, right, to share, to accommodate, to celebrate, to cry with each other in terms uh, in times of difficult, so that builds character. So there is technical skill, there is passion, and there is character that you bring and you mesh that together. Then you are likely to see success. That's the soft aspect of meshing the hard and the soft aspect and bring that all together and then couple that with passion. That's going to likely to drive success. I mean, I've. I've seen people that are successful, they may not have all the technical know-how, may not have all the mm, um, you know, mm, mm, software or hardware skills that are required in order to be successful. But when they bring the passion to the job, it's like you're there 90%. And it's uh, just smoothening the edges that gets you to be a high performer. right? So that's where we really look. In generally, when we, in our organization, interview people to bring them in, and we catch them very young. One of the key areas that we look is how much sports and what is the type of sports they play, individual sports, team sports, at what level. What, what does a failure look like? How did they come out of that? When they have done something well in some place, what did they teach them? How did they stay grounded before they took to the next level? So that's what, what we're really looking for. And we try to encourage people with those backgrounds to come work with us at any point of time, right? So that's, uh, I, I would say, has is, um, is the foundation or the bedrock of trying to build success, right? And if I reflect back uh, to my life, I think there were two um, aspects that played pretty well with me. One is my passion for cricket, right? I, I, I used to be, I used to play a lot of cricket back in India when I, during my formative years. And, you know, I still, one of my key part of my network 
uh, across the world has been my friends that I played cricket through my school life and beyond. The second, I think, because of cricket today, I meet a lot of people around the world in England, in India, in Australia, in the US that give me not just a diversion from the rough and tough world of MA, but also allows me to maintain that equitable balance of health and work so that you can maintain sanity, right? The third angle, which I think played a huge contribution was my love for numbers, right? The world of finance and engineering, when they bring together the common factor that drives these two is really numbers. And we call ourselves spreadsheet jocks um, and PowerPoint donkeys, but that's really, you know, the spreadsheet jocks is look at numbers, understanding the art and science behind the numbers and then drive uh, decisions, drive actions, drive, um, you know, the team to go deliver those become, has, has been a purely fascinating journey that I've played in my career. So I would say those are the common points, right? You know, whether we did shared service, we did outsourcing, we did technology, optimization, zero-based budgeting, or we do m and today. These are some of the common themes that have gone through my career and given me a lot of opportunity to learn uh, and bring it back and, you know, shape young minds and careers and be able to deliver this um, as a cumulative uh, effort in the organization. Excellent. So, I mean, you've, so you've got, when you, when you bring people into your organization, you've got a, uh, let's, let's call it a, um, it's, it's, I would say a culture you build of, of, of people that come from competitive sporting environments, potentially people that have, that have, that show the passion, uh, and obviously they've got to show love and, and the ability to maintain high pace and, and, and so on. So I'm, I'm, I really like that as a, as a philosophy and coming back to your, big keyword you've got on your website which is the velocity in order to maintain or achieve velocity you need a really strong team around you and you've obviously built that um, with Altius um, if we could if we could just sort of go into some of the the different types of of MA work that you've done and if we look at uh, maybe just for those that are not so familiar with this world of integration and MA and so on um, maybe just just give us your definitions of the differences between sort of standard integration work as opposed to separations, as opposed to carve-outs, and maybe just one or two uh, examples around around some of those that, that you've experienced. Yeah, sure. sure so let me touch a little bit, because you, twice you brought up the word velocity, right? Uh, let me put the... Um, uh, the, <clears throat> the thinking behind the word velocity. Velocity, as you know, people know, it's a vector quantity. It has two aspects, right? It has direction and it has magnitude. Now, what does it, why is it important to our business, right? The direction comes from being lethally focused to a client issue or a problem at hand. And then doing it in the shortest possible time and in the manner that drives the highest impact. So that's the magnitude if I were to turn this into a physics and a maths metaphor, right? So that's important, the focus and the ability to keep the client's interest at heart while delivering the solution is what we mean by velocity. So to us, it transforms in day-to-day, -day, meaning when we, hit, uh, we look at a client problem, we put the best team, right? Irrespective of the jersey that they are wearing. We try to bring the best people to the ground, you know, whether they're my friends or they're not our friends, it doesn't matter. We try to bring the best team. Second, we try to ensure that the client's interests are put in, in the forefront or we put ourselves in our client's shoes before, you know, we think what's right for us. The third aspect is we try to deliver that at next speed, right, to ensure that we are not wasting time or the valuable dollars of the client or diluting in the MA world what we call diluting the investment thesis in any manner. So these are the aspects that play on the word velocity that has become the credo based on which Altius Strategic Consulting has been founded, is operating and will continue to build on on our offerings, on our people and our and our methods of engaging with our clients to solve complex problems that they encounter.
So that's the reason you can constantly see the word velocity on our website. And we try to drive velocity in the manner as, as an operating principle within the company. I mean, every step of the way, my partners are challenging the team. Why does it take six days to do this? Why cannot it be done in three? And is there a risk in doing this in three? If not, we should deliver this in two and a half and three days. Right? And when we bring partners to the table, you know, we push them in that direction. Right? Why would it take, as I think in one of the conversations we talked, the consulting world loves even numbers, the four, the six, and the eight weeks. Everything seems to be rounded off in those, right? So we have tried to change that. And now we say we'll do things in two and a half, three and a half, four and a half. You know, the sooner the better. We do not have to round them in even numbers just because everybody else is doing that. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, starting appointments at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Why don't you start the appointment or a meeting at at 9 minutes past 10? Oh, 7.25 a.m. in the morning. Yes. <laughs> I, I, want to, I want to touch on something. We, one of your honors awards, you talk about uh, program advisor, big data, um, and so on, and, 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 and the impact of big data. Uh, and how that, uh, I think th there's, a, there's pros and cons to big data. And, and that's, that's, that's my impression. It depends on how well you handle big data and how well you handle data within an organization, especially in the, in the uh, technology uh, context. Your philosophy is velocity, but you have sometimes this, this huge amount of data that an organization, especially carve-outs, if we start looking at carve-outs, because when we start looking at the differences between integration, we look at um, separation and we look at carve-outs, each have the technology element, but many of them have a data element to it. Um, and, and many of those data elements and big data and big data, the way that it, that, that it works is, is you also have to have data migration and data ownership and data protection in terms of security. And there's a whole range of things around data. And tell us a little bit about how and if um, velocity does potentially sometimes um, speed things up because you can use, uh, you know, your, your, your mantra of velocity with big data, you could obviously crunch bigger numbers because like you said, you're a spread spreadsheet uh, jockey. You can crunch bigger numbers you get better reports, but you could also have bad or poor data. And when you're looking at trying to sort that out, I mean, sometimes those things do take, do take time. So let, just tell me a little bit about, uh, about that. Again, it, the integration, separation carve outs and i mean i know you, you you focus a lot on the carve outs and i want to think about I want you just to share sort of your 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 philosophy and that around big data and sort of those those three areas yeah so let's let's get grounded by when, when we talk about integration separation and carve out how these three differ right more so <clears throat> between integration and divestitures Right. Integration is about bringing two companies or two parts of a company together and forming a single operating entity. Whereas divestitures could be an, a company separating a full part or a partial part of an organization. If they separate the entire part of an organization, it's called a se separation, but if they separate only a partial part of business unit or a couple of business units or a couple of business units within a given geography, then that's called a carve out. Typically in our experience of the 20 plus years that we have done, been doing this, right? We feel divestiture as a subject is very complex compared to the integration. The integration tends to be more a program management aspect of bringing the, the two organizations together. Whereas in, in the case of a divestiture, especially when you're carving out, you actually have a very clean slate. You almost have a blank sheet of paper and you have the opportunity of shaping the destiny of an organization in, in at rocket speed to be able to deliver the investment hypothesis that went behind building or setting up that carve out. So we consider 
carve-outs in the continuum of the MNA mm, to be one of the most complex activities that an organization, or in our case, a private equity fund undertakes. And in order to help the private equities deliver or realize the investment thesis, we have codified the science and art of doing this into, into a set of, uh, I would say, technology-enabled management consulting practice by branded as ACE, and ACE stands for LTS carve-out experience that we bring to the table. And we've been doing this now as an independent entity for the last three years and have seen significant success and value that our sponsors, financial sponsors, have been able to realize. The ownership is grounded when we talk of carve-outs. What are we referring to? What is the piece of work or the segment of work that we are going? And then we can lay out how do we go after. Data and technology play a significant role. And their work as an advisor, program advisor that I'm doing with the University of California schools is to help embed that know-how within their undergrad and master's programs in computer science so that students coming out come up with those skills and are readily deployable to apply them in real world situations and become valuable assets to contribute to the type of work we are trying to build out. We, we are taking a step shift in the way a management consulting experience for MA is delivered compared to traditional shops that have been doing this historically for years. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about that that differentiator. So so because I think that for me, when when we had a conversation uh, last week, that for me was a sort of a standout point. It was because there's something really different and special that that you bring. Uh, your focus specifically on probably the most complex <laughs> challenge within this space being the carve out. And then also, I mean, obviously your attitude and your passion towards it. But if, if you had to go, uh, go up against, let's say a generalist or, or, or other entities that, that also say that can do this particular thing, what would you, what would your differentiator be in terms of Altius and your, you and your team and so on? Yeah. So at the very instance, right, when we get engaged with this and, and funds that we get engaged with this and the work that we have done with the funds are the top tier funds and the mid-market funds. So they, it has got legs. It is proven uh, beyond doubt that it works. So hence, we are now being able to talk about it more in, in, more in public forums, right? So with that as the setting, what we have done, let me first take what that offering looks like. Second, I'll talk about what the people aspect of this is. Third is the technology aspect. Now you bring those three together to deliver the entire experience um, of a carve out to our clients. Couple that with the key operating word with velocity, right? You're able to deliver this within the 100 days or before. That's a value. It's not on 101 day. It's not on the 99th day. It's delivered on the 100 day, the value that the client is expecting. Right? So, so let's talk first about what does this offering consist of, right? There's six components in this that you know, come together, right? First is alignment with the investment thesis or the strategy piece of it. Really understanding why is the fund investing and what is the investment thesis based on which um, the, the investment was done or this car out has been undertaken. That's where a lot of the data crunching, internal and external data and business models and analytics, including AI tools come in, into play. The second component of this is understanding the separation uh, strategy or the integration strategy and the reporting strategy. So what we have done as part of that is try to understand what components need of the business need to be stood up separately, right? Do you need IT? Do you need sales and operation? Do you need R&D? Or can you leverage some of the existing assets that are maybe coming over as part of the sale purchase agreement to you? And do you need all of that? Or can you integrate some of that, discard the rest, and then go from there? The third element within that 
a technology or a pre-built configurator is coming into play and it comes into every transaction that we do is what is the fund looking from from a day-to-day -day reporting right from the day of the transaction being closed till the time they will hold the asset in the portfolio how to extract that information out of the existing systems whether they're legacy they are new generation systems and how can that all be packaged day one not custom built right you have pre-packaged adapters built that can be deployed suck the data massage the data and render the data in the manner in which it is relevant to the private equity fund the third component of this is target operating model right the target operating model says and we are very big practitioners of what we call the asset type mode of operations the lesser the number of headcounts that we can build in-house or we can automate and eliminate, we take that as the go-in position. But from an m and angle, what we think about what is required on day zero, what is required on day one, and what is required in day two, and lay the foundation with a pre-built point of view and time-tested point of view that we can bring to the table right away um including pre, you know pre-validated service providers that are able to deliver that and have an understanding of the mna context to be able to bring to the table right away the fourth aspect that we bring in and which a lot of companies are today underestimating is relationships with software hardware and system integrators that can hit the ground running. For example, Altius has built relationships with big 10 software providers. So we exactly know each of the software providers. We have a global contact or a regional contact, depending on their structure. Then we have pre-validated terms and conditions that they would want and price points that they would offer, depending on the deal size, the discount structures that they have. The types of contracts they would want to do, they would do regional contracts or they would do global contracts. How would they, what would be the lead time for them to process in terms in software, whether it's entitlement subscriptions or in terms of hardware, how that entire process say, if somebody has to order 6,000 laptops, what is the, you know, their ability to service, what is the lead time? So we bring these tools day one into the conversation so that our clients do not need to do the legwork post the announcement. So that's on a, it's an extremely significant differentiator because it cuts down for our clients as much as six months of lead time to get these sorted. And I can challenge this to, uh, and, and in a very humble manner. A lot of consulting companies talk about it, but nobody has gone to the extent that we have laid or codified this and are bringing to the table. The, last, the fifth element of this is the sourcing element, our ability to work with system integrators or you know, hardware or software vendors to quickly turn some of the, the solution into effective contractual mechanisms without a long lead time. Because we have worked with several of these SIs, software or hardware vendors, we pretty much know what is doable and what can be achieved. And we go to the market with a 90-day guarantee of assuring our clients that a executed contract will be delivered on those. So these are the five key components and wrapping this up five key components is a program management service offering that wraps it. So we bring program managers into the four who tick and tie and deliver this as a holistic end-to-end -end experience, whether day zero, day one, or day two in the MA context, right? So that's the ACE experience. Now in, so that's um, fundamentally the offering that we are bringing to the table that assures, I can almost tell you, it assures our client that they do not need to postpone the, day, the, uh, the 100 day plan, et cetera, which many of our clients have to do because a lot of these moving parts, they're unable to bring them all together in order to complete a car in a given finite period of time. 
by bringing this offering, we almost guarantee that you will hit the 100-day mark, except unless you run into real legal or regulatory issues, right? And that's one place we are looking to partner, the legal entity formation, et cetera, but LTS today does not bring that to the table. Uh, next, let me try to hit about, talk about the people aspect of it, right? In order to deliver on this experience and have we deliver it with the credo of our, the velocity credo, right? We have built teams with three distinctive experience. The first is people with deep consulting experience, whether it's MBB or the big four, that's one set of experience that we bring in. The second uh, vertex of the triangle that uh, of the resource base that we are building, we have built are people with deep industry or functional expertise, people with finance experience or HR experience, or procurement experience, somebody with pharmaceutical industry experience or chemical industry experience. That's something that we bring. That's the second leg of the tool. The third are project program managers who have done large scale transformation in the pre-digital world or in the digital world of bringing this all together and holistically being able to manage this with client and client stakeholders. And the stakeholders here are varied in our case because we're dealing with the private equity, the investment side, the operation side, then we're dealing uh, with the management of the portco. In, in significant number of cases, we even take in interim positions to play the role of the management on behalf of the PE to deliver that experience. So these are the three vertices of the triangle from a talent perspective that we bring in to so-called create that perfect storm to be able to deliver the right value to our client, all keeping in mind that we need to ensure that it is done with the right impact and in the speed at which it drives value for our clients. So that's the second aspect to it. The third aspect is the differentiating aspect each of these six components that go into the experience, we have identified and built intellectual property that allows us to automate or productize these elements that can be delivered to the client in a manner, in a, in, in a software consumable manner. So if you think about the reporting piece, in our, what we have done is we built pre-built configurators that can tap into various sources of data, extract that data, massage the data, get it into the right format, and then render it in the manner in the end stage in the way our clients are looking. Or for example, in the take the case of contracting, right? We have componentized the entire master services agreement and statements of work that one can say, okay, this is a business services portfolio company. They are trying to buy HR services. They're going to a tier one vendor. If you plug in these three metadata, it is likely that 80% of a generic contract on a SOW is spun out using technology and does not require you to write that. That gives us the competitive advantage of speed, bring in the speed, and then the remaining last mile is what we discuss with our clients in order to get them the right custom value that they're seeking in order for them to be able to ensure that their interests are protected. So that those are the components that we have built um, intellectual property. And we have taken a very different uh, route of building this intellectual property. Unfortunately, right now it's not public, but at some point we'll make that public uh, in how to bring that element to our clients. So these are the three aspects, right? The offering, the people, and the technology-led management consulting that we're bringing to the table that helps us deliver on our credo of velocity to our PE stakeholders who are essentially whom we serve in an MA context. Yeah, so I, so I mean that's that's absolutely amazing. And and, and if I if I think about and, and if I maybe just try and repeat it in, in my own words, it appears to me that you've put together a um, a coherent system or process or or uh, uh, let's call it a package made up of various component parts that are incredibly difficult for a private equity or another or one of your clients to do 
because this is something that you do and you focused in your, I would say, many, many years of, of probably hard work and, and, and labor to put this together. It makes it easy because you're solving a massive problem. You're solving bigger problems in terms of the problems that your 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 clients or that you engage, especially private equity. Private equity generally are very, very good at the front end looking for good deals. They're good at the target, the acquisition, the due diligence, et cetera. And they, they obviously start with a premise and, and, and a strategy that they're trying to fulfill. But in order to make that a reality, what, you, what they really need is someone that can do a lot of this for them, that they don't have to go and pull pieces together to bring a team in for a specific uh, acquisition. And when you look at some of the acquisitions, some of them are platforms, some of them are bolt-on, some of them are, uh, and so on. So depending on whatever their philosophy is, and if you're looking at a carve-outs, which again is your speciality, which is probably the most difficult part, you've managed to systemize, you've managed to pull the right kind of people together. And what was also very interesting for me is your ability to bring people from outside your organization to work together with you in as if they are part of your uh, solution and your and your organization and you you obviously partnered with a bunch of really good people you've got a good network of people that you've brought together and what that does is it allows you to deliver quickly with your obviously with your velocity uh, velocity mantra but is that is that is that a correct assumption is that it's that ability yeah. to bring things together and then to and then to to deliver on on what the where the big problems lie for your clients. Yeah, really, you're spot on, right? But let me make an overarching statement: the his, mm. the historical context of delivering consulting using linear solutions is dead. We are in an era of non-linear solutions, which mean non-labor-centric solutions which is not putting butts in the seat, but delivering outcomes in a finite time. That's the era. And in order to do that and do that profitably and in an economically viable manner, technology is going to play the key role. If you are able to harness that and bring that experience to your client who may or may not have the time and the know-how to put all this together, that's a significant step change of the experience that they're going in order to extract deal value from a complex M&A transaction. M&A transactions are one of the most complex ever an organization undertakes, especially in the current economic climate where investor value is of paramount importance no private equity fund or corporate would want value leakage to happen. So non-linear solutions enabled by technology is the way to go to get that done in the shortest possible time, keeping the risk aspects in mind so that you do not dilute uh, the investment thesis based on which investor money has been gathered. Yeah, and and and, it's, and I think you're absolutely right. And uh, the the difficulty um, for people that are not in the technology space is that there's a proliferation of of technology solutions of of tech. There's software coming out. I mean, the the amount of people developing everything that you can think of under the sun, and even things you can't even think of. Uh, I would just imagine as a, as a, a let's call it a private equity professional, uh, a practitioner saying, where do I start? Where, what do I select? And, and, and sometimes they would default potentially to something they've used in the past, but hasn't quite worked, but because they know it, it's like, yeah, okay, well, we might as well, we know it's not a 100% fit, it's maybe an 80, 70% fit, but at least we know them. What you bring into the party is you're saying, no, we can give you the 100% fit using technology, but we can also do that at speed and not just in a linear fashion, but in, in a fashion that will give you the result that you want in a shorter space of time than what you can ever you know, realistically in your mind think, but that is realistically achievable from, from a practical point of view. Would that be a fair assumption? That, that's a fair, it's, it's not an assumption, that's the fair 
way of looking at it to deliver stakeholder value. Uh, when you know investors are questioning the returns on their uh, on their investment, right? Historically, a PE investment gathered seven to ten percent return. In the current economic climate, that is being significantly challenged. So, to avoid value erosion on that seven to ten percent, you have to be smart in ways you deliver and deliver them in the shortest possible time. And the butts in the seat model is no longer viable. Yeah, and and if you if you also think it's, um, I suppose there's a lot of legacy issues that have come from uh, the way PE funds have were established initially in in the old KKR days and and so on, where this ten year model was created. I mean, I don't even know if that's still relevant these days. But I, but let's say the ten year model was Median created. The median is three to four. Uh, in the, exactly. Yeah, and exactly, it, yeah. it may even come down, right? There could be several exits that may happen. Mm, if I if I read the leaves right and the data proves, uh, indicates that there could be exits in the sub three category. That, which is a significant shift because there, there very, was, there's always been this, this cycle. I mean, maybe many years ago now, but but there's always been the cycle. It's a ten-year fund. I've got so many years to build my build up my my, my momentum, my portfolio, uh, and then I'm going to start exiting. And, and you know, and and world is uh, you know, the, uh, life is great. <laughs> now <laughs> everything is let about me, velocity and sure. getting the exit quick. Let, let me let me put this into uh, the right context, right? The fund may still be five years, seven years, ten years, right, depending on investment appetite, right? When I say three to four years is the fund's investment in a portfolio company, okay, that is getting shorter and shorter, and especially for growth funds. I mean, there are four types of funds, but the growth funds, that investment window is getting shorter and shorter. But what we are likely to experience is several exits coming out of buyout funds, and some of these buyout funds may not hold the asset historically like three or four years. They could even be exiting them soon. Yeah, and, and uh, maybe just for the sake of the audience, just, just give us the, the, your view on what the buyout fund means in, in, in terms of that sort of dynamic. Yeah, so the P funds typically have classified their fundraising or the targets that they deploy the funds into four categories. The growth funds are the first category. The growth funds are typically funds that go after technology-enabled uh, products or healthcare or health tech-oriented products. Historically, so if you say fintech, health tech, you know, insure tech, etc., these are all happening under the growth fund. And each of the big guys, right, whether it's TPG, it's KKR, it's Apollo, all of them have a growth fund. Uh, CDNR, I would say, is one of the big ones uh, when it comes to the growth fund, right? Then you have traditional funds, right, that are funds directed towards semi-distressed or distressed companies or companies with low EBITDA margins, and there's an opportunity those companies around for a large multiple. So those funds are directed to what we call the buyout funds, right? So they go buy low, buy low and sell high, right? That's, that's the operating mantra in which they operate. The third category of funds is called the rate funds, which is real estate investment trusts, right? These are funds that you hold for a very, very long period of time. You invest in commercial and in recent times, Residential real estates, you those funds are directed in, in for long periods of holding, but they are directed towards real estate portfolios, and they're almost exclusively directed in the real estate market, right? So a CBRE or a Brookfield, they are the guys that play typically in that front, or they have asset management organizations that manage that fund. The, returns in those are steady 
are predictable based on rental market and commercial market valuations. Okay. The last is called the mezzanine funds. The mezzanine funds are neither in, in bucket one, bucket two, or bucket three. They are a mix of here and there. So they, they are opportunistic. They go invest depending on what returns that uh, they could get and where they, and they are bal constantly balancing portfolio to ensure that the state investors get the return irrespective whether it's a buyout, it's a growth, or it's a partial buyout, it's a partial growth. So they are, I would almost say, they are opportunistic in how they invest and how they play the market. And there is a significant amount of money also in those funds. But across these four, there is significant trillions of, I think it's 3.8 trillion of dry powder, investable dry powder available in the market right now for the PEs to go and put. But in, we'll have to see how the, mm, the market shapes up in the next 90 days in terms of mm, investment appetite and more importantly, valuations which are more mm, realistic for the PEs to play. Because for at least in the growth funds, the valuations were insane for a period of time. Yeah, and, and hence the amount of dry powder that's been that's been built up, um, uh, because I think valuations and, and there's been more and more of a scarcity, I believe, in in quality assets to go out and, and, and do right. something with. Uh, so, so there is going to be an accumulation of dry powder, but sometimes the the investors might get, uh, let's say, a little panicky. Unless it's own funds, that you don't don't worry, don't mind sitting on them for a little while because they're not earning any money. So you've That's got this conundrum between: do I go and do something, or do I just sit and wait? And and it's it's you know, at what stage do I enter? What stage do I put portion, and so on? So each each private equity firm or edge fund has got to make uh, crucial decisions and what i'm also seeing and maybe you can confirm uh, this or maybe come with a different angle but i'm also seeing a lot of the the funds are starting to really niche down and narrow down in terms of where they go and, and you you spoke about those four broad categories but even within those categories they they appear to be narrowing down their focus more and more and more and more down into even sort of niches within niches, if you like, or niches as 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 the Americans say. But I think if we if we start looking at that and we say, all right, there's still a lot going to happen. Um, but it's firms like yours, I believe, that where when it comes to taking it advantage of, or, and this is for the pr private equity firms, for taking advantage of opportunities, you need to do that at that velocity that you keep talking about. And and you have to be able to do that in a structured way and also with the right kind of technology. Because when you when you do go in and do the, um, do go in and buy something or acquire or invest in something, it's not always your full amounts of money. Obviously, you've got leverage, you've got other stakeholders, you've got, you know, it, it just becomes complex. But you need to deliver quick, and I think that that that, that speed up. But like you said, it's non non-linear. The traditional model has been questioned, and it is it's it's. I mean, I think what you're doing right now is you you've actually questioned it, and you've reformatted a model that can now be replicated. Uh, I mean, some people call it rinse and repeat, <laughs> but it can be replicated, but it's replicated in such a way that it still delivers the high speed um, or high velocity, but with the same quality and with the right kind of team and people around that. Um, that that's what I'm hearing from from the way you the way you're speaking, Rajiv. That's right, Dudley. And the specialization or the era of super specialization, I believe, will continue. Uh, one of the things to, interesting to learn from the PE world, which is very applicable to the corporates, but they typically tend to have a five-year lead time. PEs tend to have a five-year lead time in how they operate, right? A PE typically, when it op invests in a company, first the first indicator of that interest in that segment is hiring a set of operating advisors, the best of the best in the industry to guide the fortune of that investment. 
right? And that calls in for the super specialization that we are talking. And the PEs are extremely careful. They're not just investing, they're investing to ensure that the multiple that they're promising to their investors is achievable and they do it in an accountable manner by ensuring that they have the right set of people that come in to help them. And typically these, um, they will not go into an investment without surrounding themselves with that right set of advisors. Oh, I love that. And uh, I want to switch gears. We come into almost the end of the hour and that's almost, and I'm like, wow, where did that hour, <laughs> where did that hour go? Um, Rajib, I want to just switch gears briefly. Uh, just tell us a little bit about um, what you do outside of work. You're clearly very passionate about what you do and how you do it. And, and uh, I mean, you, you're based in the US, but uh, I saw you in London last week and this week you're in Brussels. Uh, you talk about emerging markets. I mean, you, you're a world traveler. You, you probably spend a lot of time um, in airports, traveling, et cetera, in hotel rooms and, and, and so on. Tell us how you balance you know, work life if there is such a thing. Uh, I know your sport plays a very big role in, in, in your life as well. But just, just give us a flavor. I mean, give us that, the, the real person, Rajib, behind, behind the scenes. Um, you know, so, how do you keep yourself sane? <laughs> not really the right way. Okay. So as a corporate philosophy, right, we have been investing quite a bit in youth and youth critics around the world. And youth has two dimensions. It is both men and women. So if you go to our website, you find that we are investing quite a bit working with club, counties, franchises around the world, mm, sponsoring as well as mm, um, encouraging youth participation at various levels of cricket. Now, why did we pick cricket? Why didn't we pick something else, right? In the US specifically, which is one of our big markets, and the game of cricket is seeking diversity, equality, and inclusivity. So that's one of the reasons we picked, instead of speaking, picking on another sport where almost, it's overcrowded, we picked on something that's underinvested. So that's one of the reasons. Second, youth as a talent is a big focus to us. So we are going after universities, which is actively promoting cricket um, at the youth level and trying to help them promote the sport, get the right talent, get the right infrastructure in place in order to they can build up. And that becomes a feeder for the talent, for the type of work that we do. The third element we are actively promoting, we are promoting not just men's cricket, we are also promoting women's cricket and the youth level. It's very, very underrepresented. I'm pretty humbled to announce we just uh, tied up with uh, in, within America, with ICC America, to promote the under-19 tournament, I think it's in next month. My team is now working to put the all the uh, the branding, etc., that will go into promoting that event. So that's what when we are not, uh, you know, I'm not involved in client work on Monday to Friday. Outside of that, we spend 20-25% of our time enhancing, organizing, working with youth uh, in the cricket and cricket field in order to bring that forward. Um, it is interesting, this uh, summer we have seven uh, interns from various U.S. universities. Six of them are actually building an analytics-based cricket product. That one of the first clients will be um, one of the potential um, uh, cricket franchises across the world, in the world. So we, we have actively not just talked about it, we are putting money where our mouth is in order to ensure uh, that we back it up by action and we're trying to bring consulting technology into this field because we find it fascinating to bring that know-how um, to the world of sport. Right? And if I'm not doing yeah. those two, if I'm not traveling, I do land up uh, you know, spending quite a bit of time looking at numbers, you know, the world of numbers is fascinating. Every day, throws out something new. So that's the third aspect. But that's probably five to ten percent when I'm not doing the other stuff. 
I love that. I love that, Rajiv. And and as we close off, uh, maybe just um, for for the benefit of the audience, uh, um, if I come back to work to 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 a certain extent, um, and I say sort of what what what's your ideal client look like? You know, who are you looking to speak to, and and how do they get hold of you? Well, thank you, Rajiv, for bringing that up. Right. See, clients are valuable, right? We, we want as many clients as possible, but an ideal client for an organization of LTS's size and reach. And by the way, we are we have service clients in Japan, we are servicing clients in Switzerland, US, UK, uh, across the world, right? All our engagements tend to be very, very global, and we have teams across the world to service them. Now, having said that, mid-market, P funds is our sweet spot, right? These are clients that are seeking operational execution excellence, and we bring that operational execution excellence from diligence to value capture in the MA continuum to be able to deliver that to them in a package format that they do not need to become the architect to put that together. So that's the ideal client, somebody, if you were to talk to Harrison independently and, and uh, Billy or Ishita or Kapil independently, they will all, in my leadership team, the ELT, they would say that is the ideal client that we are looking to work with. From a persona perspective, the operating partner um, is the one that typically hires us in these company, in these funds. And then we land up working with the um, management, take interim positions in management to deliver that experience that the PE fund is seeking. Excellent. And then how, how do they get hold of you, Rajiv? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah. Pick up the phone and call us, uh, email us. You know, the website allows you to interact. You know, we are very active and visible on LinkedIn. All right. We make sure that everybody reaches us to any of the members of the ELT, which is a nine-member global team. We will respond. We will give you attention, and we will be there, right there, trying to talk to you. Excellent. Rajib, thank you very much. Thank you so much for, for, for joining us today. Um, I really do appreciate your time and, and, and your energy, and also just dialing in from Brussels. Um, I know you, 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 I think your body clock, I don't know how you do, do, you know, American time and then, you know, Europe time and, and mix up meetings and that. I think well done for that. Um, I just want to say thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Thank you for sharing, uh, today. Uh, please stay on the line. I just want to say goodbye to the audience and, uh, and, and then we'll, we'll have a quick chat afterwards. Let me just say goodbye thank to you, the audience. Thank, thank you, you hosting us and giving us this opportunity. It's a very humbling experience. And I thank the audience for taking the time and listening. If there are any questions, Rajiv at altius.us is my email. Happy to take on, if I can answer anything here, I'd be more than happy to spend, stay a little bit longer and answer any questions. Love it. Thank you very much, Rajiv. Much appreciated. Let me just uh, say goodbye to the audience and then we'll take it from there. Um, so thank you very much, uh, uh, our audience from 100 Days and Beyond, the podcast that focuses on on the the professionals, the practitioners, but uh, quality, very very high quality people like Rajib that have have turned what could be just a very average thing that could be, uh, you know, and and I think he mentioned as in turn it from a linear sort of consulting arrangement into something exquisite something really special and something that can um in 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 my mind that has been that has been optimized because of the use of things like technology the right people the right uh network or stakeholders and 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 people from the outside to provide a complete solution and and th that takes that takes not just uh the the smarts or the brains but also takes years of of cultivating relationships uh, communicating uh, and 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 doing projects and learning and, and building a, an intellectual property base and building that that recipe that can deliver quickly and I love that uh, concept of velocity.
because I think velocity is is something key for private equity firms. Thank you very, very much uh, uh, for joining us today on a, another episode of 100 Days and Beyond. Uh, the For me, it's the unsung heroes, but for me, wow. I mean, Rajib has, has demonstrated today that uh, although it's unsung, I can tell you there's a lot of really solid stuff happening there behind the scenes. The guys that make uh, bring investors money, and often you may be in, an investor or you may know of investors, or if you just think about how the whole world economy turns around, it's through trade and investments and investing in entities, investing in ideas, people, and so on, and making this uh, economy grow and 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 and, and, and sort of roll out and also weathering the storms of what's happening right now and what will continue happening, the ups and downs of, of markets and as they shift. But thanks again for joining us. Uh, to the audience, uh, we look forward to you joining us on our next episode of 100 Days and Beyond, the podcast where we focus on mergers and acquisitions and especially the post-merger or post-acquisition integration work and the practitioners and those special people that work in that environment, whether you are the receiving end of an acquisition, uh, you're the receiving end uh, of a change that's brought about by either a private equity or an investor, or you are in, in the you know in the driving seat of that. Uh, this is the this is the podcast for you. Please uh, continue following us and continue subscribing. Love the comments that have come through. Uh, we just don't have the opportunity right today to to answer all the questions. But thanks again. Have a super day, and we'll catch you again on the next episode. Thank you, and bye bye. Hi everybody, this is Dudley again. And if you need help with a future or existing post merger integration, I want to invite you to arrange a free no obligation meeting with us. During the meeting, we'll find out exactly what you need, what your challenges are, and we'll explain how our unique PMI slipstream method can help you. Simply call us or visit mergerintegration.co.uk. That's mergerintegration.co.uk or come to our website, skillfulpursuit.com.